First of all, thank you so much, uh, everybody, for, for coming in this morning. I thought there, I didn't think there would be people here like this, and that's awfully, that's awfully kind of you. I'm, I'm very grateful and, and humbled for that. Obviously, we're going to be talking about, uh, about leadership today and developing teams. And um, I, I, I do want to say up front that, that I, I, don't, I don't want it to feel like um, I'm, I'm speaking from the top of the mountain here. Um, and that I have it all figured out um, and everything like that because I'm not coming from that space at all. Me personally, um, if I learn things, it's typically because I have screwed something up. Some people just like meritoriously gain knowledge. Um, I am not that guy. I need to get kicked around a little bit and then you slowly figure a few things out. So that's where I'm speaking from today when I'm talking about leadership. Um, So a, a little bit about me. Uh, my wife and I have six kids. They're anywhere from my oldest is about to be 21, and my youngest is is one. We currently have two children uh, under the age of three. I'm going to be a, a father of a minor for 40 years uh, of my life. So uh, that'll change a man. So uh, that's part of what we're going to talk about today. And one of the one of the reasons why I first bring up my family is it's been a foundational piece of what, what's formed me as a leader. Uh, prior to getting into brewing, I taught on the high school level uh, for a decade. I taught uh, at-risk kids, so kids that were court-ordered or expelled from their original schools. And so I did that for 10 years. Um, and then kind of through the home brewing that I started doing and entering competitions and, and becoming a beer judge, things like that, some of the success I had on that front led to having uh, my name on the short list of, of a brewery that opened up in the town that I was living in. After I'd been brewing uh, professionally for a while, I also have some years of experience teaching uh, brewing science uh, on the university level. And yeah, I mean, the, the last couple of years for me, I, I think everybody's had a, uh, it's, it's been a time of wild change uh, the, the last few years. Um, my wife and I moved our kids down to uh, Cincinnati. I was born and raised in Michigan, lived there my entire life. We bought a house when we first got married. We didn't move. We stayed in that house. And so moving down to Cincinnati was a, was a big risk for us. And so we've been down here. Um, we helped to open Cartridge Brewing in October of 2020, just kind of that sweet spot of the pandemic. So, you know, that was, that was pretty great. That's just a little bit about me. I'm going to talk a lot today uh, from the vantage point of being a father. And we all have different experiences, and, and I think those experiences really are, are, are the things pr- primarily that, en- that end up forming us. Um, and so this is, this is going to be kind of the angle that I approach things from today. But I, I think it, I, I'm, my hope is that there is, regardless of what station of life you find yourself in, that, that you're going to find some things that click and make sense for you. As I already mentioned, I'm going to have a minor for a really long time. I'm 45 right now. That means I have to run this whole thing back almost all over again with having a kid under the age of, uh, you know, under the age of 19. I remember when my wife and I had our first child, Michael, and we had this real, like, I don't know if you remember Baby Einstein. I don't remember if Baby Einstein is still a thing. But I, I remember thinking that, like, as a parent, I was going to be, like, helping to craft this little, this little genius person, right? They were going to be able to play instruments. They were going to be able to play sports. They were going to learn. They're going to learn all their STEM stuff. They're going to learn foreign languages. And you just think about how you're going to piece together like this perfect little Lego child. And maybe that's just the way my brain works. But yeah, what we found out was so we had my when we had my my oldest, we were 
questioning a lot, like, what were we doing wrong? Okay, because my oldest son is very strong-willed. He's powerfully strong-willed. And, and my wife likes to say that he, he both wants to be me and destroy me at the same time. It's, it's a strange father-son relationship. Uh, maybe it's not strange. Maybe it's more common than you'd think. But, and then we had Joseph, my, my second, and he was night and day different from Michael. Like, Michael is always like, he's going to come to you on his terms. Joseph is, is turning 19. He's out doing missionary work right now. When he comes home, he's st- every time he walks by me, arm around me, Dad, I love you. Like, always coming to me. You know? And then you realize from a, from a parental standpoint, you think that you're creating these works of art or you're shooting to create these works of art. But really... There's far more, they're far more roughed in than you think. I have the statue of David here. You know, when we had Michael, my oldest, it, you have this notion, well, maybe you're getting this block of marble, and then you and your wife are going to chip away at that block and have a, have a beautiful statue at the end. My experience as a parent has taught me that these statues come pretty much roughed in, and you have to find some of the sharper corners and try to sand those off. But one of the things that has been hitting me more and more as my family grows is we always think that as parents we have to be, you know, developing our kids. And we do. Don't, don't get me wrong. We have to help them grow and everything like that. But I, it's, always, it's also a feeling where we feel like we're supposed to have all the answers. Um, and one of the things I've been spending more and more time with is I, I think that for me and I think kind of the role of children is to develop us as well. Okay. It's not just a one-way street um, because the, the kids will put you, put you through it and, and, and change you. And it says right here, regardless of your title, we're, we're not finished products. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you are the parent in the situation, you are running a brewery, you own a brewery, you have people that report to you in the brewery. Regardless, um, we're all, we're all works in progress, and we, and we have to keep that in mind because I think in some ways it takes some pressure off as well. But it also helps to set the mindset for what we're doing. When we're doing things in a managerial standpoint, it's constant correction. It's, it's part of what we do, okay? Um, and that's, I think, some of that overlap for me between parenting and management. Let's jump into kind of what I feel like are the key components to what makes a leader. And, and I know I've talked a lot about parenthood, but for me, I, I think there's, there, there's, a, there's a lot of overlap here. There's some core concepts for me, and, and this isn't re- revolutionary stuff, but for me, the, the, the big things that I find that have benefited me the most as a leader is to pursue these things. Um, one, to be a person of integrity, vision and compassion, humility, thankfulness and generous praise, and consistency. When it comes to being a person of integrity, I think the primary thing is telling the truth, all right? From a worker looking, to, looking at, at my manager in the past, you lose, nothing makes you lose respect for somebody more than when they're not honest with you um, and when they're excuse makers. Um, I think it's really, really vital as leaders that we tell the truth to the best of our ability and we really try to stick with that. I, I think it takes a certain amount of hubris to say that the th- lies that we make up, we're going to be able to juggle them well enough. It's war- it, you, we're attempting to warp the fabric of reality. That's not how things work. You can't just keep fooling everybody all the time. 
It takes me back to when I was teaching and I was in a staff meeting. And I remember our principal, she was supposed to complete a task. And when it came up, she lied about it. And it was obvious. I know we've all watched, we've all watched people lie before. You, you, you kind of know when it's, when it's happening sometimes. And it, it was painfully obvious. And it felt really awkward for me, like, being there too. And then I had this thought. I'm like, wow, that's really embarrassing for them. And then I started thinking about how when I get emails that I don't want to answer and I'm not interested in, I don't open them. And then when I'm asked later in a meeting, did you get that email? I'm always like, oh, I think it, I think it got lost. Like, emails don't get lost. I mean, it, it, it's not like that. I, I, I turn that lens back on myself, and I realize I do the exact same thing. And we, can, and we can chalk them up as small, like little white lies, like little fibs, but those are the things that erode trust with people. I feel very, I feel very, very strongly about that. Again, it's it's the key element of building trust. If you're not going to be honest with your people, you're 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 going to struggle. You're going to struggle. When it does come to that, I do think it's important to be ready to apologize. I think that's another element of integrity that kind of that kind of shoots off of that, right? When you do screw up. You need to get ready to own it. So Cartridge was purchased by uh, Saucy Brewworks December 1 of 2022 last year, and we're in the process right now of merging these two companies. I've been working on this talk for a while, and I went ahead and I did something the other day that was exactly against this. We had uh, a couple members of the brewery come down and brew with us just to see what our processes are like. Saucy has, um, being a production facility, has some technology resources that, that I don't have as more of a pub brewer. And so it was a little bit of a quality check as well. And I like to have all my stuff backed up by research, all the things that I do. And one of the things that I do that I don't know how many people do is when I'm brewing, I run X number of barrels into the kettle before I start sparging. I know some people don't do that and they have a concern with that practice. And so it was a white lie, but when we're brewing, I started running off to the kettle and immediately sparging. Um, because I was embarrassed about what I actually do, and I didn't want to show them, right? And then they're like, how come you're not running off more of the kettle before sparging? And I was like, well, crap, I, I always do. But I was, I was embarrassed by that because I, I didn't feel like I had that research to show them. And so just, just own it and be like, hey, listen, I know that it's an awkward thing, but I usually do. You can look at my SOPs on it, but I just need to eat this one. I, I, I changed what I did because I thought that you guys might do something different. So I think that the, the next element of uh, being a person of integrity is being a person that is genuinely people first. You have to view your people not just as labor inputs. And, and I know that's, that's kind of easy stuff to say, um, but, but I, I think it's really, really key. I, I do like the, the idea of seeing the person. A key, a key example where I don't do a good job seeing the person is when I go to the supermarket and I'm going through checkout and it's not, not self-scan, so somebody's scanning it. Usually I don't look at the person until like the end if there's something wrong. Maybe I'm busy with my kids, but it's, it's, it's an experience I'm having with another person where I'm not recognizing the fact that there's another person there, right? I think as managers, we need to, and as leaders, we really need to push ourselves to see everybody as individuals when they walk through the door. I always like the, one of my, the, the terminology that I like for it, and it's, it's, the, it's the, the way I view things, but um, there's, there's, something, there's something beautiful about us. Okay? From, from my background, there's, there's a 
my viewpoint, there's a divine spark in people, and sometimes it's harder to see than others, but I think people are, are due that are due that respect. Um, we can also talk about empathy from the standpoint of really trying to look at walk a mile in their shoes. It's, it's kind of a, maybe a little overplayed, but I want you to think about it specifically from, from a leadership standpoint of, yes, there's the human level to it as well, but there's also the, the, the practical day-to-day level. If I'm, if I'm hiring on a new seller person, I need to be thinking about when I was in that situation, the questions, concerns, and worries that I had from there. Next up, I want to talk about being a person of compassion and vision. And, and I, th- I think vision is the real, is, is the real key thing here. Um, we, we hear a lot about compassion. Compassion is, is a great thing, right? It, it, it's, it's the ability to, to um, um, it's the ability to have empathy, to see things from other people's standpoint, um, extend yourselves to other people genuinely. But I, I want to combine that with this, with this idea of vision. We need to listen to our people. We need to have conversations. We need to ask questions. From a leadership standpoint, and increasingly, you know, people like to, and and as I get older, I hear more and more people my age talking about issues with people that are from not their age demographic and work. I think we need to get over that, like in a hurry, because there's some ways that we need to change how we communicate. Um, because uh, I'll tell you this, if, if you can check a handful of boxes with, with the younger workforce out there, and they're usually steps centering around the things that we're talking about today, they'll run through a brick wall for you, all right? You have to listen to them. When I had uh, uh, an assistant brewer early in my brewing career, we're having a beer after shift, and I'm like, so what, what do you want to do, like, career-wise? And he got real quiet and kind of sheepish or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, really, what, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, I, I want to open my own place someday. But, he was, but he's like, but I feel awkward telling you that. And I'm like, do you honestly think I thought you wanted to be my assistant brewer for 30 years? Like, you, you, you have to help see with your people, right? It, acknowledge the fact that they want to be growing. And it, it's, it's a huge portion of what you're supposed to be doing is providing that opportunity, right? You're constantly supposed to be tr- providing opportunity for growth for your people, um, working, working their way up through, uh, working their way up through your organization. You need to see more in people than they see in themselves. And there, don't get me wrong, there are people that see almost too much, have an overconfidence in their abilities. But I think a really key thing that you need to cultivate as a leader, and for me this, this comes from my experience as a parent, is you know when, when you have that loved one, whether it's your child, whether it's a niece or nephew, another family that you're close with and you're close with their children, you see magic in those kids, and you see endless possibility in those kids. You, you, see, you see, you know, the sky's the limit with that. We need, we need to take that vision and have that with our people. I think more often than not, people don't actually know what they're good at. And part of it is, is we can have a larger conversation about the educational system. I don't think we do a good enough job of telling people specifically what they're excelling at. And that's something that we really have to be doing from a leadership standpoint. And I think that's one, of the, that's one of those big things because when you see something in somebody else, even if it's barely there, like you can coach things into people. They can be a one out of ten skill-wise on something, but you can coach that up just by mentioning that you see that one part of it and praising it. All right? I feel, I feel very, very strongly about that.
And as we're developing our people, it's, it's very important for me, both so I can take a vacation and for the good of my people, I want them to be able to perform every task in the brewery. Yes, so I can leave occasionally and they can do stuff, right? Because that's a good feeling. I went 10 years with not being able to do that. You want to provide those opportunities, yes, but you need to actively seek them out. And part of that comes from the conversation that you have with them as far as hopes, dreams, aspirations, areas of interest. We should constantly be facilitating opportunities for our people's growth. Quality staff can mold the vision of your company. Like right now, I have a guy that's working with me. He's my assistant brewer. His name's Josh. We'll talk about him more a little bit later. He is so high level. He's so proficient. He has so much integrity. He works so hard. He's so smart. I would be foolish to not find out how he wants to grow in this industry. And then if the umbrella of this company currently doesn't hold what his future aspirations are, as a management team and with my dialogue going up to ownership, we need to have that conversation of saying, do we need to change this company's vision in order to keep this incredibly high-level person here? Um, I feel very, very strongly about that. Good business can be informed by the ever-developing passions and talents of your team. Being a person of humility is it's, it's another, huge, it's another huge pillar here. And it's not an aw shucks thing, all right? Because there's something, there's something that's almost insulting about, um, like, false humility, right? Humility isn't saying you're not good at anything, okay? Because we all have talents. We all have gifts. Whenever I think about, like, I always think about that, the, the Michael Scott scene where he's interviewing at corporate for, you know, the promotion to, to, to go to New York, and he's like, and he's supposed to be talking about his, like his strengths and weaknesses. But he does the whole like routine. I care too much. I work too hard. Like that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about humility. To me, functionally, we are the we are the sum of our team. Like so, right now, things are operating well in the brewery because I have a quality team. Now, in some ways, that is a reflection of my leadership. But it is it's a much more integrated thing. Okay, we, we actually have to we, we have to see ourselves through that lens um, because we, we can't just get we can't just get too high on our own stuff. Right. The, the flip side of this and, and the thing that helps to keep me when I do this well, which I don't always when I do this well, the thing that helps to keep me grounded uh, with a lot of this is it's best to see your talents as gifts. And ultimately, gifts are not meant for you. They're meant for other people. And I, I think this spills back into something that we discussed before, is when, when we do have those conversations with people about identifying their gifts, the things that they're strong in, we can show them how they can help others and help the team and help themselves with, with those gifts. For me, looking at, at skills, talents through that lens as gift, I, I think it changes the tenor and it makes it feel it makes it feel warmer and more personal and more approachable uh, from, from a leadership standpoint. We talked about this a, a little bit before, but you, you need to admit when you're wrong when it happens um, within, within close proximity, and we're going to start talking about proximity a, a little bit later. When I was originally teaching history, I was teaching kids that were super aggressive with me. Um, like I came in the first day, and I had this girl come up to me, and she goes, you look like a narc. 
I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm Adam. Nice to meet you. And it was, and then uh, and then I had another girl like come to me immediately. And I, and I was so I was I was twenty I was twenty two. Um, I my wife and I had our, our first child when I was twenty four. There's a picture of me holding this baby. I look like I'm fourteen. And this is this is like three years later. So I look like a twelve year old like in an oversized suit. I had another girl come to me and say, my boyfriend's older than you. And I'm like, this is just all really awkward. Um, and, uh, but, when I, but when I was teaching history back then, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm teaching history, and, and there's all this stuff to know. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about it from that standpoint. Dude, there's, you can't know everything. And then I was always worried that they were going to ask me that question, and I wasn't going to know the answer, and they were going to know I was a fraud. Okay. The reality is, is people trust people and they want to follow people who admit what they don't know, right? It's a major, it's, it's a major, major pillar to, to, to building trust with people. Few things are, are such a turnoff when you're constantly telling all the stories where you're always winning and everything's awesome and you were right and they were wrong. People get so tired of you, so tired of you. Be relatable. Express when you had failed. It's, it, it'll, it'll win you a lot more than, than maybe you think it will. Then then you're, then you're exposing your lack of knowledge about something. Being a person of thankfulness and, and, and generous praise, I, I'm putting these two things together because I, I, I think they belong there. I think we, we, I think we live in strange times. We mentioned that before, kind of having, you know, um, opening the opening cartridge in, in the middle of the, the pandemic and, and, and all that stuff. I think that I, I think that some things would be nicer out there right now, and I hate to use that general word "nice," but I would say I think we would I think we would see more peace around us. Um, to try to actually use words that mean things, because I don't think "nice" necessarily means things. If if we're a people of of thankfulness and and generous praise, I, I think I think we'd be in a, a a more peaceful spot. Your culture is something you have to cultivate. The talents of your people are something that you have to cultivate, right? And I believe that the way you cultivate those things in people is you do that through praise. We touched this on this a little bit before, but that's how that works. The flip side is, is, is don't expect the praise to come up to you as a manager, as a leader, that's not the direction praise flows. Praise flows down. Okay? My praise as a manager is good morale in the brewery. So through the majority of 2022, I had both Josh and Maggie in the brew house. It was great. I'm actually I'm jumping ahead of myself, but, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there anyways because I think it's the, the right thing to do. I think I'm missing something in the slide here. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to uh, Maggie and Josh. Uh, this is Maggie, Josh, and I enjoying ourselves more than we should in in the brewery. But for for me, my praise as a leader is to walk into that brewery and have them love being there. My praise in the brewery is watching them working hard, setting up a keg rig, kegging, kegging out a tank, helping each other out, talking, laughing singing songs, like us, us working our hardest, busting our tails, 
but we're enjoying each other while, while it's happening. It's, their, it, it's the freedom with which they approach me with questions. Like, that's, that's my praise. I don't actually have to hear from them, you're doing a great job. It's that morale. It's the, comfort, it's the level of comfort that there is in that space. It's the level of their ability to say to me, I don't know what I'm doing here. What am I supposed to be doing, right? That's how we know we're, we're cultivating something positive right there. But praise is, praise is, a, is a big one. And, and when I was teaching, there was a speaker that I listened to that said, we need to have a seven-to-one ratio of praise to correction with our people. Now, this was through the lens of education, but I think it applies to parenthood. I think it applies to managing uh, leadership as well. He said, you need to make seven positive deposits with somebody before you can make a withdrawal. That's a lot. It's a lot. And think about it. Think about it online. I've been doing, uh, I've been doing YouTube videos and things like that. And I get like a ton of people have been super kind, but you get like one or two people that are just like really weird and, and kind of mean to you. And you remember that stuff. You know, I mean, you don't remember the, the, the ton of other positive stuff people are, are saying. It's a, similar, it's a similar situation with this. If you want to be able to correct someone, you need to be praising them in a, in a timely, specific manner. Don't say, hey, you killed it today. And that's great. You, I mean, you, you, can go, you can go big umbrella like that. But tell people explicitly what they're doing well. Like when you see the small things happen. I remember I had a situation one time I was watching. And I wasn't watching, but we're just working. Breweries are tight spaces. I had a person that was going to connect a valve, a line to, to the bottom of the tank to transfer a beer. He took the gasket out of sanitizer, dropped the gasket on the ground, and then looked at me. That's a problem. If, if you don't know, he needs another clean gasket, not one off the floor. That's going to get who with ISO, right? So, but the fact that he looked at me lets me know that he just wanted to pick that gasket up off the floor. There's times where you have to correct people. There's times where you have to correct people. And so in order to do that, praise them and make it a habit. But the, the, the key with this is, though, it can be false, and this is why you need to know your people. This is one of the benefits of talking to your people, knowing your people, seeing the goals they're setting for themselves, and then praising them into the place that they want to be and the place where you want them as a leader. Okay? Hopefully, hopefully I'm making, making sense with that because it's going to come. Correcting your people has to happen. It has to. Um, and sometimes that's, that's one of the more challenging things, which is one of the more challenging things for me for me personally. Talk about being a person of consistency, and there's a few things here. When I was teaching, there was, it, was, it was a high-intensity thing that, that we were doing. Um, there was a lot of, in the last school I taught in, there was, there was a lot of violence. Um, we, had a lot of, we had multiple occasions where the police had to come in and break up fights uh, that were breaking, uh, breaking out across the student body. Uh, we had teachers get hit with chairs. I've been punched. I've had people trying to break in the window of my classroom to get in to attack somebody in my room. It will mess up a lesson plan. Like a lot of intense stuff. And, and it was also a situation where students would call me a range of names you wouldn't believe. And they seem to always center on a very few specific ones. Um, and I, they, then I got them all the time. And like, it makes you feel like, okay, what about me does actually 
make everybody want to call me this gross, gross thing. But that, that's a question for another day. When I walked in that building, though, I had to be on. It, it, it required full dedication to what I was doing. When I, when I walked into that building, these kids that didn't have things, basic things, and you can talk about food, shelter, Maslow's, everything like that, simply showing up was enough for some of these kids. There's, there's this kid I used to teach, and I would be at the computer in the morning, and he would come and he would put his face right here, so close to me that I could feel the warmth off his head, okay? And you say, what are you doing, Adam? I'm doing computer work. You know, normally people would back up when they asked that question. He was that one kid that always rubbed me the wrong way. I always had the hardest time giving to him. It's, it's easier to give to some kids than others. It's just, it's just true. Um, and it's, it's, it can be a failure and everything like that as well. And, and I've been teaching this young man for a long time. Six, eight months go by, and I hear him telling somebody else that I'm his favorite teacher. And I felt ashamed. And I felt ashamed because I knew how little I gave to him. And even that smallest amount of what I gave to him was incredibly meaningful. Okay? It speaks to the importance of us coming in daily and having something to offer. When we are in a leadership, ownership, management position, we do have our own lives and we do have our own problems. And there are some days where we're going to be lower than others. But it is time for us to go in and perform when we cross that, when we cross that threshold to the building. Okay? It's mandatory. It's, it's mandatory for your people. An empty vessel cannot fill up another cup. We're going to get into some things here real quick. We're going to run down a list. You know, people talk about self-care, and sometimes that is drinking a, a, a bottle of wine in, in the tub. Um, and I think we need to expand that conversation a, a, a little bit. Um, and especially in this industry, I just uh, finished up Kitchen Confidential, Anthony Bourdain. Um, and I think we, we, need to have some, we need to have some adult conversations about our industry and how we care for ourselves and other people. As leaders, we need to be exercising some, some baseline things. We need to be on slump, some level, we need to be people of moderation. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but we need to treat ourselves well. We need to be people of moderation. We need to drink water. We need to eat real food. We need to sleep. We need to stretch and move. You need to pray, meditate, practice mindfulness, have quiet time. We need to be able to unplug and settle ourselves. Whether you are a spiritual person, a religious person, a mindfulness person, what have you, we, there, there is that component to us. Okay, And, and I, think, I think we need to have more conversations like this because we lose people in our industry. We've lost people in the last year that have worked at our place. We need to have some grown-up conversations about that. So as a leader, in order to sometimes walk in to have something to offer, we need to be practicing these things. We, need to, we, we do need to take care of ourselves because we can't walk in the empty vessel. I've seen people that I think have capacity to be great leaders, but they're too busted up. They've got too much stuff that they're carrying, and it prevents them from getting where they need to be. Again, nobody's perfect, but... Do things, do things that lift you up. There's pitfalls to this, and, and we can just take a look at them real quick. Um, there's a fear of losing good people when you train them. I lost a good person. 
Uh, Maggie Clark was my assistant brewer for a year and a half. She was green when she came into the industry. By the time she was done, she could do everything in the brew house. She's amazing. She's an amazing person on top of it. You lose them sometimes. And one that hurts personally, right? Let's be real about that. When you develop those relationships, it hurts personally. But then from a productivity standpoint, from a management standpoint, from a business standpoint, it hurts to lose those people. But I'll tell you this, it's better to have those people for a short window of time than bad people for a long time or poorly trained people for a long time. Right? I'll take that trade off every day. Sometimes you find yourself in a situation where one of the pitfalls can be is you have to walk the line between being a friend and being a boss. I've struggled with that in the past. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, especially in an, in, in, in an alcohol industry where you, can have, where you can have a shift beer, go out for beers afterwards. Sometimes the, the, those, those lines can be, be blurred a little bit. But you do need to be conscious of it. You do have to be conscious of it because there's still, when you cross that line, it makes it difficult for you to put your manager pants back on. And it, it, it can be, uh, it can create some, how do you, some uneven footing between you and your people, and, and you don't want to be putting people in, in, in that situation. So it's a line. Find what that line is for you, and just, just be aware of it. And then finally, some people can say, um, so I've done like legit, um, like deep dive, like 90-minute personality tests. I'm in the 99th percentile for extroversion. And like so, and I heard somebody say one time, like being in the 90th percentile and the 99th, like, it's a huge difference. It's like when you start getting out. So I, I'm really extroverted. So, like, when, when I'm going to be done with this, I already feel like I can shoot fire out of my hands right now. Don't think I'm crazy or whatever. But, like, it just fires you up. Like, seeing people, having people look at you and engage with you. So some of this stuff you can say, well, the, the, the way I'm approaching leadership is very much seen through that lens. And, sure, there, there's going to be an element of that. And the interpersonal stuff is stuff that I'm good at. It's, it's one of my gifts. It's one of my talents. The things that we talked about are character traits today. They have nothing to do with introversion or extroversion, right? What, if, you're, if, if you're on the opposite end of that, that introversion, extroversion scale, you can still do these things. You'll do them differently than me, but you can still do these things because ultimately what I'm trying to talk about today is the ways I failed as a man growing up, the lessons I've learned from it, and how it's impacted my capacity to lead, um, because I think it's, it's, it's ultimately when we fall uh, that we grow. So, uh, with that said, finish last slide. Uh, I was so paranoid about the, the volume of time and everything. There, there is some time uh, for, for Q&A, if, if you have any. Um, just so you know, um, head brewer at, at Cartridge, I started uh, uh, doing some content creation, um, anything from full brew days to some leadership stuff to tutorial-type things, and that stuff is available on, uh, on YouTube. I know many of you um, have told me ahead of time that you're going to come because you saw that stuff, and that, that's very kind of you. That's me. Do you, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's the quality of people that you put out. Yeah. So that doesn't stop. It's yeah, it, and, and I think it's true. And and so I, I mean, I, I think when you when what you're going to find is when you start trying to approach things in this way, like um, so, Mag, Maggie's at Urban Artifact now, and that's a gift to me um, because, first of all, she's amazing, and they know she's amazing, um, and so like it's it's. Um, it's probably one of the best resume building things as a leader is to be is to be sending well developed uh, people uh, into the workplace, um, and so not to look at it from a selfish standpoint, but this stuff just pays itself back. It, it, it really does. It really does. And thank you. That's usually what I tell my people as well. Is that I want their future employees to look at you know where they work with sure. me and be like, damn, they came from me. Definitely. Definitely. But that also helps you oh. so you can um, build each other too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Do you have a question? Yes. I think the building part of your system where you get feedback from your trade. So really, um, and, and our situation is a, is, a little, is a little unique. I know everybody works in, in a different environment. For me, we're, you know, when there was three of us, there's just two right now, but it was, you know, three sets of boots on the ground scooting past each other in, in tight brewery spaces. And it was just, it was, it was every day, all day. You know what I mean? Um, and so that, that's, a, that's another positive. I, I realize in some situations people are more segmented and there's different departments and things like that. Um, so if, if, if that's your situation, you, do, you need to make the time. Um, we, we kind of just organically have it because we're doing the same work on the same floor. Uh, start to have some, if you're not in that circumstance, um, start creating some purposeful, uh, some purposeful time for that, whether it be a lunch break, whether it be the, the shift beer that you do have after, different things like that. Just try to find other opportunities for it that you can build in. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so the first person I ever hired uh, brewing was uh, a guy that I trained under. So he had been uh, in the industry for seven years, and that's like, especially at that point, it's like it's almost, it almost makes you ancient at that point. You know what I mean? Like the, the industry is still so young. Um, I mean, just look at what people want uh, experience-wise on Pro Brewer. It's crazy. Um, people, people drop a $2 million project and want to hire somebody that's been doing it for 12 months. Um, and listen, I, I got hired and I never made a drop of professional beer before in my life. So, you know, I'm not, yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, but it, it's just to emphasize how much more experience he had than me. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it, it's different. I've hired people that are green, um, no experience. I don't know them. I've hired people that have more experience that I would already consider and I would even consider them a, a friend uh, beforehand. Um, and it's with, with Bill. Uh, I was fortunate because super talented guy of integrity, busted his tail, and he taught me as much as he could, you know. Uh, and I learned I, I learned a lot from him. Um, but uh, most most people have been outside hires. I have I think Bill might have been the only person that I hired uh, that I had known prior. I feel like friends that I have hired, so I'm like I feel like I'm a little bit more uh, like tougher on them 
Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting thing to, to kind of stay to stay mindful about um, and, and kind of track how you're treating different folks for sure, for sure. Nina. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is one of this is one of the marks. Um, there's a gentleman that I that I worked with in the past. Collectively, we we were working through uh, a very difficult uh, business situation, very 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 tense, high pressure business situation. And the the, the fascinating thing was, he was the same every day, uh, whether uh, we just had you know a great week of sales, whether we had a bad week of sales whether we're in financial crisis or not. You, you, you learn a lot from those people. and you, you just There's a lot of times where I, I was letting my career happen to me professionally, right? Like just letting the, letting the waves hit you. And then you, you start thinking about it differently and start saying, I need to start happening to my career, all right? And that's when you need to start looking at what's happening at your workplace, good, bad, or otherwise, and starting to figure it out and learn from it. And we would have those conversations, when things were going south, we would talk and say, if, if you and I aren't talking about the lessons that are had to be learned here, we're, we're wasting our time and our career is happening to us as opposed to us happening to our career. So, yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely had those uh, examples of those people um, in, my, in my professional life. Any other questions? Got one more. How do you balance six, uh, six kids and, and being a head brewer? I made it early on. I made it clear um, the importance of with the original ownership at, at Cartridge. Um, I told them uh, I will work. I will work overtime uh, when it's necessary, um, and I will work. You know, I mean, when we were when we were startup, I was working eighty-hour weeks and things like that. Um, I'm going to do the the work that needs to get the job done, um, but I'm also. What's that? And she knows. She knows what we were getting into when 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 we were when we were coming down to to open the brewery. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, I'm a very firm believer that every hour you work over forty hours is basically an hour in dog years, and you're fast forwarding the time with which you're going to leave that company. I could be wrong. I personally think that I will be happiest, most creative, and uh, most effective leader working around forty hours a week. Um, can I put in 60 for you? Absolutely. But you are, we're, we're fast forwarding the time with which this uh, relationship's going to end. That's, I just think that's how it works. And it's not even, I'm not even, that, I don't want you to want that to sound like, like it's menacing or something. I just think it's honest. It's just honest. So yeah, I try to have, I try to keep a pretty big separation between what I'm doing at the brewery. I usually don't have pints afterwards. I got things to do. I gotta go home. You know, I make beer and I go home. Anybody else? And I know we're probably running up against time um, for, the, for the next talk to come in. Genuinely, thank you so much uh, for coming in. Um, hopefully you got some value. And, and I'll be floating around. So if you have, if you have any, anything that you want to talk about, I'm, I'm all for it. So, again, thank you.